Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just doesn't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 107 with Lyme expert, Dr. Sally. She's the founder of Flourishing Fully. Also with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you'll learn about healing Lyme disease by healing your mitochondria and why continued antibiotic use was not the right choice for our guest, Dr. Sally. It's interesting. Antibiotics are so powerful, and sometimes they just don't touch the Lyme. It, I know there's some great folks working at that at Hopkins. I was at a Lyme conference at Sinai a couple weeks ago, Sinai Hospital in uh, New York City, actually their medical school in New York City, and there's a great group down there, and they're really trying all kinds of different combinations to see which one works better. But with Lyme disease, it doesn't always work. And that seems to be the theme of any kind of Lyme treatment. Anywho, before we get started with our interview today, I want to make sure you've picked up our Brain Fog Breathing Cheat Sheet. The good news about Brain Fog Breathing is while it may not work for every single person, it works for many, and it's free. So if you haven't gotten it yet, just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash Brain Fog and sign up to get it. It's a great little method that you can use and it really does help oxygenate and balance out the brain waves in your brain and help you think more clearly. All righty, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Dr. Sally. Dr. Sally is a former ophthalmologist who was diagnosed in 2005 at a medical conference in which she participated in a live blood microscopy. Uh, microscopy, excuse me. She managed fairly well in 2010 when she developed severe neurological and physical symptoms. Antibiotic treatment did help, but Dr. Sally noticed that it did not produce long-lasting healing effects. She experimented with rife and ozone treatments, but it wasn't until she found a protocol for COPD patients that focused on restoring mitochondrial function that she began fully healing. Today, she shares the protocol that helped her get well, maintains two Lyme wellness websites, and holds group coaching sessions. Thank you, Aurora. And by the way, microscopy is just fine. Okay. (laughs) And hang on, because here's our interview with Lyme expert, Dr. Sally Schultz. Dr. Sally, hello. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Good morning, McKay. How are you today? Terrific. Are you ready to jump right in? I'm ready to jump right in. You're a retired ophthalmologist. I am. How did you get interested in ophthalmology? Oh, um, originally when I was in college, I was studying psychopharmacology. And um, I went to uh, graduate school at, uh, I received a master's degree in uh, psychopharmacology from the University of Pennsylvania. And then I went on to Johns Hopkins to get a PhD in psychopharmacology, but I was bitten by a rat on two subsequent occasions. And rat bites are extraordinarily painful. And I began to dislike dealing with rats. <laughs> so um, so this is in a research setting, yeah? Yes. I'm assuming. 
and not just the wild Baltimore rats. I lived in Baltimore for quite a while, actually. Uh, yes, I was, <laughs> I was with these amazing, brilliant researchers. And uh, then on top of it, I broke a very expensive piece of glass equipment. It must have been a $1,000 piece of equipment. And I just said, there's a sign. There's a sign, the rats and the glass. Um, I need to, to soul search and see what... Um, fills my heart with with song. And my brother, my father, my two first cousins were ophthalmologists, and um, that led me to go uh, and go back and get my pre medical requirements and study uh, go to to get into medical school to study ophthalmology, which I did. Wow, that's an amazing story. <laughs> it's a long trip, and then. So you have this history of getting bitten. Then you got bit, assumedly, by a tick. Yes, I I know that I was bitten by a tick in Mexico many years ago. Uh, but before a time where Lyme was even even a faint whisper, um, and certainly it was many thousand of miles away from Connecticut. So we didn't think anything about it. And I was pretty much okay. Um, or I thought I was okay for many years. And then I became more ill with more symptoms and more symptoms. And quite by accident, I was at a, an orthomolecular conference in San Francisco. And there was a researcher there doing live cell microscopy. And, uh, of course, the physicians were all lined up to get their blood looked at, and I did as well, and he asked me a series of questions. And every time he'd ask me about a symptom, I'd say yes. And finally he turned to me and he said, you have Lyme disease. Wow. And um, that was a wow. I had it. Nobody had ever suggested it to me. It wasn't on my radar. This was uh, at least... 14 years ago now, and um, at least I had a diagnosis, and 14 years ago, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of talk about it, so when I went back to my own doctors, they said, oh, no, we don't have Lyme disease in California, and they looked at me askew and thought I was weirded out. (laughs) Yeah. So I was actually through, you know, what so many people have gone through with, um, uh, not having your doctors believe you, and uh, I did go on a course of antibiotics. Uh, I still remained ill, uh, and then I went to Mexico for a series of treatments, and after each series, I would come back well, but I finally realized that that treatment wasn't curative because after a couple of months, I would slowly uh, sink back into my symptoms, um, and that's when I would start treating myself with different herbs. I would research everything I could read about it. Um, and I tried ozone. And I know for ozone for many people will work. But for me, it um, created a relentless herx. That's the only thing I can call it. I was, I, I slided into a profound depression. I had um, terrible anxiety and panic and brain fog. I couldn't read a page in a book. I had obsessive compulsive disease. I had a social anxiety disorder. I didn't want to be 
with people. I didn't want to be with my children. Um, and, uh, and then the other symptoms I had were uh, chronic uh, vomiting syndrome. I would retch or gag at any time of the day or night uh, violently. Um, and I had intractable bladder pain. Uh, I, I didn't want to leave the house because I'd have to find a bathroom within 20, 25 minutes. It led to dehydration because, of course, then I didn't want to drink, and that's certainly no good for the body. So I was in a really bad state. That's a whole list of side effects. That's crazy. Was the ozone uh, a blood treatment? Was it? Yes. How was it administered? Was it blood treatment? It was a blood treatment. Incredible. Wow. So I don't know whether that was just my unique reaction or whether that was the wrong dose for me. I mean, we did play around it. The same thing happened to me with Rife. Now, I don't know that I had purchased the best Rife machine, um, but it, whenever I would Rife, I would... I would become um, unconsolable, unconsolable. Interesting. I don't, my only kind of thought for the ozone might be that there was a lot of uh, nitrous oxide uncoupling, creating peroxynitrite, which can be super toxic, um, (laughs) in addition to maybe some die-off. So who, but with the Rife machine, you know, kind of who knows? But that's that's the crazy thing about Lyme disease, though. Exactly. And the treatment. Exactly. You know, people, you know, I've heard, we've all heard the stories about Rife Machine and people hailing it as a miracle, and it can be. But then you get stories like you, there's always the opposite side of the spectrum where it's just not helpful at all. Well, Royal Rife was a genius. I mean, you know, we have scientists from the last century who have just been, um, tormented and discredited who had brilliant technologies that um, we should be refining as we speak now. Well, people are. It's just in garages and back rooms and unfortunately not at Johns Hopkins. <laughs> yes, yes. So you're, you're trudging along. You're trying to figure out what, how to treat the Lyme, how to continually feel well because you said you were able to get some treatments and feel better so what what turned the corner well in july actually july 4th 2014 i was up in vancouver uh and uh, my husband and i went for a massage and in the last two minutes of the massage i felt a dagger like uh pain piercing my throat And I had, unfortunately, I had lived in dread of my throat closing off for, you know, four or five years. Um, And as I got off the massage table, I grabbed my husband. I said, I've got to go home and get something to drink. I've got a excruciating sore throat. And we ran home. It was just a couple blocks. I went upstairs, got some salt water, made some comfort tea. And I experienced the tea coming out the side of my throat, and I realized, in fact, that my throat was closing off. So uh, Bain raced me to the hospital where I was placed in intensive care with a pediatric size um, breathing tube down my throat, and I was in a drug-induced coma for the better part of a week. And 
when I came out again, I just saw that my life slipping away and, uh, I started to tidy up my affairs because the next throat closure w- might, might not get successfully treated. And while I was, uh, in this despair, I received an email from a, uh, woman who I really hold in very high esteem, Sherry Tenpenny. <clears throat> she is a, um, a vaccine specialist, and over the years I had met her, and I thought how what a courageous woman she was. So when I received a uh, video from her about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, well, synchrodestiny was uh, on my side because... My girlfriend had just told me that her mother had uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and so I thought, gee, I want to try and watch this video, and I did, and it was amazing, because as a physician, I had never seen an end-stage case of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, like emphysema, um, get well. These people were profoundly ill, they stayed ill, and they died Ill. And so here is this man, Dan, um, uh, without oxygen, good color in his face, great vitality, um, speaking about his recovery. And I showed it to Bain, and he researched it. And sure enough, uh, it was good for Lyme disease. And, well, what does COPD have to do with Lyme disease? They're both mitochondrial deficiency diseases. Um, and in Lyme disease, the stealth bacteria and the toxins invade the mitochondria. And I should say that the mitochondria are, are little cell powerhouses. They not only produce energy in our cells, but they are important in thousands of enzymatic reactions that uh, either create health or create inflammation and um, cell problems. So we went ahead and researched this protocol, which is called the BX protocol, and um, I felt at that time that it was the last thing that I could try. It was expensive, and I thought, um, it's a question of, you know, shelling out and, and trying this amazing new technology, which actually is based on the uh, scientists of Warburg, Royal Rife, Tesla, Koch, um, the kind of scientist that I was alluding to previously. And by golly, it worked. And when I did that, I said, when I get well, I'm going to teach other people to get well. So I realized that uh, the BX protocol was is not for everybody. Not everybody can afford it. And so I've spent the last year and a half of... Um, my wellness, researching techniques that I'm putting together programs that can help facilitate people getting well that uh, will fit their budget. Can you explain the BX protocol a little bit? Sure. Uh, The BX protocol is produced by um, the Delta Institute. They are based in Panama. Uh, and they have created uh, a formulation which for cancer patients, also a, mitochond- a mitochondrial deficiency disease, um, is injected. <coughs> and for Lyme and a variety of other mitochondrial deficiencies diseases, you have it sprayed under your tongue. 
This, along with a lifestyle protocol which supports the mitochondria, including uh, the diet that supports the mitochondria, which is basically a ketogenic diet, a fat-based diet, eliminating harmful carbohydrates, uh, reducing the amount of protein that you take, making sure that you get uh, um, uh, good fish oils, uh, things like that. Um, and then it's a, a home-based treatment that every day you record your symptoms on, uh, and scale them. And then you give the information uh, to Delta through the computer, through the Internet, um, and they adjust your dosage and they adjust the uh, spray that you take. Now, the spray is um, actually a very dilute fructose su- substance solution that has been placed in what's called the Varian Chamber. It's a uh, chamber that emits uh, frequencies, and they impregnate the uh, BX energy catalyst, which is what they call it, with these frequencies. And these frequencies then, uh, when you take it, will target um, the mitochondria and the energy systems in the body and eliminate the uh, stealth bacteria and other toxins uh, to return you to health. So that's really a very cutting-edge energetic um, uh, technique. And what I like about it for a lot of people is it can be done at home. I know a lot of people travel to clinics, you know, traveling to a clinic for three weeks, four weeks, is expensive as well. So um, this is home-based. You don't leave your home. You do get um, routine, you know, uh, advice on a daily basis if you need it as to how you should proceed. And um, it was life-changing for me. And is that what inspired you to then go on to say, you know what, I'm going to take my medical background and my psychopharmacological background and apply this to helping people with Lyme disease? Yes. I don't know whether it happened in the hospital uh, or whether it happened uh, in the process of the BX, but it was an awakening for me that I had a mission. I had a purpose, that I was in a unique position. I had... Um, medical training, I had psychological training, I had psychopharmacology training, I had uh, shamanic training, so I understood the spiritual world um, and that I could create a blueprint that incorporated all these different facets to help people because I do believe that everybody has a mission, that we're here for a mission and that, you know, people who are suffering from Lyme are so burdened down with their, with fighting their daily battle that they, that they may not maintain the best attitude. And it's understandable, but with help and with direction, you can get your mind in sync You can um, focus on your passion. You can um, use the right thought processes to keep you oriented to the goal of recovery. And um, 
So I did feel I was in a unique position to help people to get well. Yeah, you're not a normal doctor. <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> so where where are you based? Where do you practice? Um, I no longer practice. Uh, in 1994, I was in a life-threatening car accident, uh, and I lost the ability to practice. So uh, my ophthalmology career was actually um, just taken away from me. And I perhaps I should have been listening to these spiritual signs earlier on, but I didn't have the wherewithal. Um, but a quick note about you said, you know, you're not the typical doctor. I, I, um, I wasn't the typical ophthalmologist. I helped. <laughs> I helped I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, first of all, early on, I met, um, uh, a man named Mercadente and he was an avocado farmer in San Bernardino, California. He was a 94 year old man who came to see me and he was the one who introduced me to herbs. So I studied herbs very early on. This is in the 80s, 1980s. No kidding. Um, and I, w- I was always cold, always cold. And he introduced me to garlic. Um, and I didn't pay that much attention to it, except that shortly thereafter, I met a friend of my husband at the time. Uh, and he said, here, you're cold. You're wearing a jacket in summer. Take Take one of these. And I looked at him like, What's he, what's, what's he having me take? Yeah. And it was garlic. So that just changed my life. I started studying herbs and, um, that made a big difference. But the other thing that I wanted to mention was that I had patients who were coming to me that were blind. One was Harold Smithland. He was blind for 40 years. He'd been seen by an ophthalmologist every one of those 40 years for his disability insurance. And uh, his wife heard me lecture, and she dragged him to see me. And he said, you know, really, I don't believe that you can do anything to help me. And I said, look, I'm looking at your eye, and I see your cornea is cloudy, so that's not lighting, letting any light, light in. You have a very dense cataract. That's not letting any light in. And... um on ultrasound, the back of your eye looks fine, you know, so maybe you have some macular degeneration and you won't be able to see to read a book, but wouldn't it be better to walk around in a world of lightness than in a world of darkness? And so um, I put him on a corneal transplant list and his uh, I received a call that we had a cornea for him and he didn't want to come in huh. because he'd been brainwashed into believing that nothing could be done. Well, his wife dragged him in, and uh, the next morning we took the bandage off, and he couldn't believe it. He's, <laughs> he was he didn't he had, he'd never seen his wife before. He Aww. didn't know how beautiful she was. So, um, and there were stories like that. Now, that's you know that was in the eighties, and um, at that time, people physicians didn't have the I don't know, compassion or the belief that if you made it to 80, you can make it to 90. And weren't those years worth good quality life? Um, I believed it. And that's, that's really why, um, I do think that I think outside the box and I want to give, go the extra nine miles for people to see what can be done to help them. Do you see, 
the awareness of Lyme disease and uh, what do I want to say? It, well, within the physician community, in your area, getting any better? No. I'm sorry to say no. And why is that? Because physicians go to medical school. The medical schools are controlled by uh, Big Pharma, and uh, they are told what they can teach, what they can't teach. For example, um, they don't teach what's called the endocannabinoid system. The endocannabinoid system is our internal cannabis system. So most people don't know that we actually make our own cannabis um, but as we get older or because of stress or illness, the system doesn't work well. Well, this system is the master control system. It helps homeostasis of all the other symptoms. That's only taught in 12% of medical schools. Hyperbaric oxygen is hardly taught, if at all, in the medical schools. Um, anything that's outside of the box, vitamin C. I know. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Vitamin C is, we, we are all hypoascorbic, like, except for the rare few that are, are, uh, in the know. We, we do not make our own vitamin C and we all live in a subscurvy, which is the full vitamin C deficiency disease, um, and that causes problems. Um, I was shocked to find out because, you know, I bought into the Ebola fear. I thought, oh, my God, Ebola's coming. What am I going to do? And then I learned that high enough doses of vitamin C will cure Ebola. They don't teach that in medical school. They teach about vaccines. And while I grew up with vaccines and I have been vaccinated, I no longer will vaccinate myself. Um, And I think they're filled with harmful we're getting off the topic, but um, that's the agenda of the medical system. Yeah. Well, that, it's not completely off the topic because you do hear stories about people's Lyme, kind of latent Lyme disease. So they're kind of bumbling along, stumbling along with Lyme disease. And, you know, they have some bouts here and there, but they're mostly okay. And then they get vaccinated. And that kicks up their immune system and disturbs their immune system. And then it gives a window for the Lyme and whatever else is lurking in the background to take over. And then the wheels fall off their health bus and they're just absolutely miserable. So I think vaccines are, are an interesting issue because they're absolutely, you know, there may be some place for some of them, but it's gotten ridiculous. I mean, they're, they're using vaccines like, like vitamins. It's like you got a vaccine for everything and even for non, serious non uh uh what i want to say the things that won't kill you they want you vaccinated for everything at this point what are there like 30 that children are supposed to get at this point or something silly like that 70 by the age of 18 70 70 70 wow and of course they vaccinate you know neonates newborns which is um terrible it's- terrible yeah, that's a lot of lot of uh, mercury going well, in you. Mercury, aluminum, insect cells, formaldehyde. I mean, we we wouldn't uh, drink formaldehyde, no less want to have it injected into our body. Here's a funny story that so my wife, when we were in Baltimore, my wife was at the Hopkins School of Public Health. 
uh, matter of fact, she was, and she's in the, the PR department. So she got to talk to everybody and she was there when Bloomberg donated however many millions and he got his name on it. Anyway, one of the interesting things, and I have to, I have to go dig up this researcher's name. She was friends with the woman at the time who traveled the world attempting to formulate the flu shot for that year. So she she and she actually ended up dying in a plane crash. That's how many miles she put on the plane. She did not take her own flu shot. Yes, well you'll find that's true. There was just an article I think uh from maybe Jonathan Landsman that said that if you ask your doctors most of them will not vaccinate themselves. <laughs> and yet at every grocery store and drugstore and there's just a notice at the local college here that they've got their flu clinic open and it's uh anyway we are way off topic but um, there's there's limited value that's the deal you know it's in some cases maybe there is some societal value to it but at some point it's just lining people's pockets with money yes and it's making a sick population yeah it's right it's got the opposite effect it's got the yes. opposite effect. So whether it's autism or autoimmune disease or an exacerbation of Lyme, um, it's not good. Now, back to Lyme disease. And and this may be an unfair question because I know you're you're kind of in the education mode right now. You're not actually seeing patients. But is there a connection with eye health and Lyme disease? that you've heard about or seen that you can talk about? Well, I had my own experience. Um, You know, in ophthalmology, we're taught that floaters, many of us develop floaters at different times of our lives. They're little specks that get in the line of vision, and you can shoo them off to the side by flicking your eye. Uh, We're taught that they're imperfections in the jelly uh, at the center of the cell. But I know that um, early on in the in my course of Lyme disease, I had uh, a massive amount of floaters, and uh, I learned at that time that they can be uh, stealth bacteria or stealth viruses that invade the eye and create the viruses. Um, and that did clear up. That did clear up as I um, got well. Uh, also, there's other inflammatory processes that go on in the eye um, that the the Lyme can cause. Do you know if the the Borrelia has an affinity for the proteins in the eye, like it does with cartilage? Will it invade the eye? Borrelia has an affinity for for the mitochondria anywhere that you have a. Um, uh, a down regulation of it. So if you have, you know, it, it may be a genetic predisposition, predisposition, but it may just be, you know, we've all got our strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can, it can attack anywhere, you know, the throat, the bladder, the heart. Uh, I developed an irregular heartbeat. Yeah. Um, so it, it can go anywhere. I wanted to mention that when, um, I first was diagnosed with Lyme. I developed a chalazion on the eye. What's and that? That's a bump on the eyelid that can become inflamed. Oh. And I uh, had it lanced, and we looked at it under the uh, microscope because I 
had to go and buy a, a live cell my uh, cell microscopy scope, and uh, it had mycoplasma in it. Now we know that mycoplasma is one of the organisms that uh, very often occurs with uh, the Borrelia. So uh, that was an interesting experience. It's so, you know, that's one of Horowitz's, Dr. Horowitz's uh, contributions to the field. He talks about the the multiple uh, angles of health that happen with this type of infection and, and really that it, it may start off as Lyme disease, but by the time you become quite sick with it, you've got to deal with uh, multiple, multiple issues. And it's not just simply killing off one type of bacteria. Exactly. Now, how are you helping people these days? You've put together a program for people with Lyme disease. I have, um, and, and the program is evolving. Um, so what I do is I have uh, an, an e-book. I have a, um, a course uh, that is released in weekly modules for seven weeks, and it covers the topics of what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, when you should eat, um, what kind of supplements support the mitochondria and help you to reverse. Um, so that's a dietary uh, module. Then there's a detoxification module because in Lyme disease and chronic illness in general, we have so much toxicity in our body. The bacteria is releasing toxins. The parasites are releasing toxins. We've got inflammations that are toxins and, you know, personified, and um, we have to get rid of the toxins. And um, I studied colon hydrotherapy, so I have studied um, enemas and colon hydrotherapy and how to get toxins out of the body to reduce the load. If you're constantly bathing in a sea of toxins, it's harder to get well. It's harder to gain the upper edge to recovery. So um, I do talk, I spend a whole week on detoxification. A lot of people think you can take a product or a supplement. But really, if, you're, if your GI tract is clogged, and that's a 30-foot-long tube, um, you don't know that that product is going where you need it to go or doing what you need it to do. So I spend a lot of time talking about detoxification. I spend time talking about um, positivity, um, how to maintain a positive attitude. What are the tricks? Um, a, a tip for your your listeners, which is a little bit like your breathing exercise, is, is the stop technique that I learned from um, Deepak Chopra. And it's really, if you see yourself leaving um, a mindset of being positive, you um, say stop. S is for stop. T is for three deep breaths. O is for just taking a moment and observing the thought processes that you were having. And then P, um, pleasuring yourself, you know, sending yourself, opening your heart chakra and sending yourself love. Um so we, we, I have a whole uh, program on positivity. I have a, a module on the connection between science and spirituality. I have a module on cannabis, and um, that um, is going to be changed to a um, broader uh, module to incorporate 
vitamin C because vitamin C um, can be used to heal Lyme. I have a module in energy work, and the energy work uh, embraces um, the BX protocol. It embraces GCMAF, which is not strictly an energy product, but it is a uh, controversial uh, anti-inflammatory, antiviral, antibacterial uh, product that now is only available in Japan. Um, I also talk about in that module acupuncture, yoga, Donna Eden energy. Um, and so for seven weeks, these modules are released. And then um, twice a month, I give uh, group coaching sessions so that people can ask me questions about what they're experiencing, how they can fine-tune it, what could be their next um step in the process because recovery is a process and it really is nice to have someone holding your hand while you're going through it, supporting you, um, which is something that none of the doctors are real, or hardly any of the doctors are doing. So, That's really a 360-degree approach. That's amazing. Well, I try because when I had, um, some of you may know that uh, chronic pain syndrome is a symptom in Lyme, and I had that as well. And when I broke my wrist and my hand swelled up like a, a grapefruit, uh, the doctor said, oh, you need a diuretic. And I right. said, yeah. no, I'm sorry, a water pill, this is not a water pill problem. Um, I, had to, I had to plunge my hand into ice water to have relief. Um, so I did acupuncture uh, weekly. I did massage. I did physical therapy. I had an edema pump to pump the fluid out. I mean, I was relentless. And uh, in in recovering the function of my hand, and um, that's what I want for people. I want someone who's relentless in not leaving any stone unturned to finding what will work for you. Lovely. And then how can people learn more about this program? Um, I think the best, I, just to give you an example, not answering your question first is. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you know, I, couldn't read, I couldn't read a sentence in a book, uh, you know, two years ago. Yep. Um, and now I've got I Beat Lime website. I've got Flourish Fully Lime Secrets website. You know, I've, I've developed a, a cannabis product, non-psychoactive cannabis product. You know, I'm just so full of energy and passion that um, I, I, I just want people to say, you know, this is where I am. I can't do X, Y, and Z, but this is where I can be. I can do, you know, I can get my vitality back. I can get my inspiration back. I can be with my grandchildren. I can get out of bed without pain. I can look forward with a smile to the day. And so, you know, I just want people to know that there is wellness after after Lyme disease. Um, and I guess the best place to look would be LymeDiseaseRecovery.com. And it'll take you through a series of videos so that you learn more about me and um, see if we're a good fit. And it's risk-free. You know, if, if you... Um, think the program can help you and you join, then um, you get the information for a month and see how you're able to incorporate it for yourself. And um, 
if it works for you, we go forward. And if it doesn't work for you, um, it's risk-free. Well, what's not to like? <laughs> Give well, it a try. I think it's great. What's not to like to have an advocate for yeah, you? Exactly. And some somebody who's been down the path as well. I mean, that's that's what I always find so inspiring uh, about people who've gone through Lyme disease and either are completely healed or mostly completely healed. And then they turn back on their path and look for people who are behind them and they want to help, you know, and they reach out. And, you know, that's really what it takes these days because, like you said, the doctors just aren't on board yet. It's going to happen. It may take 50 years, but it will happen. But right now it's it's up, it's up to us. It is. And, and I, I want people to be aware that it isn't just – a supplement that you take or a diet that you do it's it's a mind body spirit approach because if you if you have doubt if you say you know i i i never get well or um i i my throat will you know will never get well or i'll never be able to go out without worrying about finding a bathroom or or i'm depressed i'm depressed she you know uh, she doesn't know what it's like to be depressed. Yeah, I do. I know what it's like. I was looking at Foxglove along the path where I walk uh, when I'm with my husband in Canada, and I'm thinking, you know, what would it take to end this all? Um, so I do know what it's like to be depressed, and I do know that it takes, you know, it does take help. It doesn't take someone supporting you with the right attitude and the right mindset to get well. Beautifully said. Dr. Sally, thank you much for your time. You've been very generous, and I've really enjoyed our second conversation. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I, I totally honor what you do, and um, I think that your participation in the Lyme community is just so empowering for so many people, and, and um, thank you so much for what you do. Thank you. That was a great interview, and that tangent that you kind of got into you laughed it off as being a little bit off topic but you were talking about (laughs) you were talking about uh vaccinations and kind and how uh toxins could really uh, toxins from the infection from lyme disease could really hurt uh healing um and helping people get well so i thought that was relevant it you is might. relevant to Lyme disease and you know vaccinations are great until they're not and if we could predict when they're great and when they're not we've been in a lot better shape you know just the sheer number of required vaccinations for children these days are something to give pause and you just can't keep throwing interventions at somebody without some consequence including antibiotics in the gut and uh, the same thing for for vaccines. At some point, how how stimulated does an immune system need to be? The other thing about that is there's so many stories out there about people with Lyme disease who've had a relapse or the first uh, infection bad. Well, what do I want to say there? Not the infection, but the really their first bad episode with Lyme disease. It kind of takes it to another level, uh, triggered by immunizations by getting inoculated and it's just you know do you want to roll that dice so when i talk to lyme people and we the subject of uh, vaccines come up whether it's the flu shot or whatever it is they most of them go running and screaming away from it just say not in a million years will i ever try that again so it's it it is you know on some 
level, vaccine might be a great thing and it's cured diseases. And on the other hand, man, if it, if it lays you down, then it's not such a great thing. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. That also remind me, uh, of our conversation, my conversation with Dr. Terry Walls, uh, not too long ago, episode 97. And her protocol really is about healing mitochondrial as well. So that we have a great discussion there. And she talks about whole foods there and her protocol for dealing with mitochondrial dysfunction. If you do like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, why don't you go ahead and click on over to our website and leave a few words. Say hello, leave a comment, ask a question. We'll get back to you as soon as we can on that. And we love reading your comments. Right, Aurora? Yes, we do. Like Margaret, who says, hey, I've just read Jimmy's book, Keto Clarity, and am and, and wondering, what about dairy? Jimmy's book has a big emphasis on dairy, heavy cream, sour cream, cream cheese, full fat cheese. I have Lyme and also leaky gut symptoms that manifest as skin rashes and acne if not managed carefully enough through diet. It's also my understanding that lactose is a sugar, which will feed yeast, bacteria, and parasites as well as exacerbate gut issues. Thanks, Margaret. That's a good question, and it has to do with dosage. And what they teach in medical school is is dosage makes the poison. So what he mentions there and what you mentioned in your question, heavy cream has very little lactose in it. Sour cream, same sort of thing. Cream cheese has a little bit more full-fat cheese. Depending on the type of cheese, how long it's fermented or aged, quote-unquote age, will have less uh, lactose in it as the bacteria eat the lactose all up. So it really depends on, on what you can tolerate. Uh, the problem is getting fats in a ketogenic diet without dairy can be a little more challenging. It absolutely can be done. It just really reduces the palate there. So that's the, that's the short answer on that. And of course, we're not giving you personal medical advice. We're just talking about the lactose in cheese. And you just have to do, be careful. There's, other problems with dairy is the cross-reactivity with gluten and the casein proteins. So there, there are all kinds of issues that can come up with there. And really, every, every diet ends up being individualized. But what the ketogenic is a great place to start. And if you have those issues, the best thing to do is to start without the dairy at all. And if you have other autoimmune issues, there's want to eliminate those like nightshades and so forth and so on. And then begin to add things in slowly after you've given yourself a chance to get adjusted there. So I think that's really the basic advice that almost every dietitian I've ever heard and what I give in my office as well. All righty, Aurora. Lastly, lastly, as you longtime ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know every ninja joke is a five-star joke because every ninja joke says ninja? Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before for considering any new treatment.